Welcome to EdTech Speaks, a podcast bringing guests together to share their expertise and advice on navigating business and education in a technology-driven world. From entrepreneurs to vendors, higher education to corporate leaders, we'll uncover their perspective regarding the latest trends and technologies impacting your career or business. Our podcast is made possible by Downing EdTech Consulting, where people and technology connect. Hosted by Cher Downing, an experienced executive spanning a higher education and corporate career with specific focus on the EdTech industry, Dr. Downing is also an international and national presenter, author, and regular media contributor. Now here is your host, EdTech strategist, Dr. Cher Downing. Hi, everyone. Welcome to EdTech Speaks, a podcast where we bring guests to share their expertise and advice on navigating business and education in a technology-driven world. Our goal is to provide you with options for products, services, and knowledge that can help benefit you or your business. I'm Cher Downing, your host, and I want to introduce today's guest, Dr. Jennifer Nash, who is the founder and CEO of Jennifer Nash Coaching and Consulting. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome. Hi, Sharon. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to have you here today because obviously another consultant. So that's always fun to hear about what people are doing. Uh, Jennifer is an executive coach. And so one of the things for our listeners that I always try to find is different ways that they can look at coaching opportunities and what are ways that they can do professional development and improve themselves and also help them align with the goals that they're doing for their small business, their ed tech startup, maybe even if they're just starting to think about dipping their toe in the water of, you know, leaving traditional work. Right now, we're seeing a lot of folks that unfortunately, not by choice, are having to leave work. And so they're rethinking what they want to do next. So it's great to have you here with us today. I'm going to open up and ask you just to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you're at right now. Sure. So I spent about 25 years working in industry and consulting, and I finished my PhD in 2018. And I decided that I needed to take the next step for myself and evolve and grow. And so I launched my own business in 2018 as well. And I am now here today talking to you a year and a half later, actually almost two years later. And um, things are better than I would have ever thought they could be. I get to do work every day that I love and that I'm passionate about. And I am able to help others grow and evolve on their own journeys. So one of the things I think that is the most difficult when you start a startup is having to take care of that and manage that career and personal advancement while you're also responsible for your own business. For most of us in the world, we work for someone who pays for us to get professional development, career development. Maybe we choose to go back to school, but it's alongside working. So we we still have kind of that safety net. So we're not worried about income and benefits and all those kinds of things. But we also have an obligation to grow ourselves as a small business owner or as a startup that can always get pushed by the wayside because you're busy doing other things. Can you talk to us a little bit about what are some of the types of things you do for folks and uh, what are some of the things that you see out there? 
Absolutely. So I think in terms of professional development, um, one of the ways that I serve clients is through executive coaching, like you mentioned. Um, I also do consulting in the human capital space. So an organization may hire me to come in and do a workshop on influence skills, or they may want to run a workshop on negotiation and changing mindset around how buyers interact with the vendors to purchase different items. So it actually runs the gamut from like individual leadership behaviors that people are looking to evolve to gaining a foundational knowledge in some area that they need to move forward in their careers. And also, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later, but with COVID, as you mentioned, things are changing so rapidly and people are really rethinking what they want from this next step in their career journey. And so I've been doing a lot of executive career coaching as well. That's really interesting. And there's a a couple of points that you talked about that we'll go back to, but for executives, talk to us a little bit about where, where in the organization those people sit. So kind of what levels they are. And what are some of the types of things they're reconsidering? So the, the individuals I tend to work with the most are at the director level and above. So director level, vice president, and the C-suite. And these individuals are looking at shifting their mindset from perhaps you know a senior manager level where they're a little bit more focused still on the tasks as opposed to the people leadership. And so commonly what I find at the director level is that there's a big shift in, okay, now how do I change my mindset because I am going to be leading people and instead of tasks. And so how do I shift that for myself, but also how do I shift that for the people that are reporting to me and help them be effective leaders of people and not just tasks. So growing that and having that ripple effect across the teams is something I find that happens quite often. As you move up from the director level to the vice president level, um, you start to see a shift in the in the capabilities that are required, both from a strategic standpoint as well as from a visioning standpoint. And so, it is as much a people leadership role as it is a leader that can create vision and that can inspire others and motivate others to follow that vision. And then as you move into the C-suite level, it's really being able to have a holistic look at everything that is going on in the organization. And not just in the organization, it also requires that ability to look externally and see what environmental factors are impacting the organization and what's coming down the pipeline and how to mitigate that and proactively handle that before it impacts the organization in a negative way. At the same time, looking internally at the organization and figuring out, what do I need to move forward? What do I have? Where, you know, where are we positioned? So it's, it's really, I think at the, at the C-suite level, there's really a duality of focus that is required more so than maybe at the other levels. And that's actually something that um, my doctoral research had showed that when you take outstanding leaders and compare them with average leaders, you find that the outstanding leaders not only have a lifelong focus on learning, but they also have a dual focus They have it on themselves and they have it on the people that work with them. They have it on their organization internally, but also externally. And you see that duality repeated in multiple facets of the world. So I think that's uh, so important for our listeners because when you're a startup, obviously you wear all of the hats. When you're a small business, you still tend to wear all of the hats or at least the majority of them. And so it's, it's fascinating always to think about the fact that you can be someone running a Fortune 500 company or you can be someone running a very small shop, 
but you still need to have vision. You still need to have leadership skills. You still need to have that external view of what's coming and what's going. And you still need to know what's going on internally. COVID has really taught us that, that you really need to be pragmatic about doing that stuff on a much more regular basis. And so when you talk about, you know, the duality of it, when you think about all of the articles that you see and all of the people, the Warren Buffetts of the world, the Bill Gates, I'm always fascinated, you know, because they'll, they'll list an article of the top five things these people do. And if you look at them all comparatively, it's all about the same. And it's exactly what you're talking about. They all have a concern for how they're continuously learning, how they're continuously moving things forward. What are the trends that are around them? Not just specific to what they're doing, but what are the trends in the world? What, what is impact and how broad is that impact? And then they're always concerned about not just the people around them, but also the people below them. Some of them will admit, Bill Gates has admitted that, you know, he didn't do as good a job as a supervisor as he could have as he looks back on it. Probably a good majority of us would also say that because you learn almost baptism by fire. But I think what you're doing is is talking a lot about, you know, what we're continuously seeing right now from the people that we do look at our key leaders in business and industry. Absolutely. And I I think also, you know, part of what COVID has helped bring to the forefront for people is this awareness that there does need to be a focus on, you know, what's happening externally in our environment and how it's impacting us and how it's impacting our organizations and how it's impacting our cultures and our families. And then turning that lens around and saying, well, how is it impacting me as an individual? And what do I need to shift or change so that I can evolve and adapt with this massive change that is happening in our society right now. What are some things that you think are helpful to combat with that and and keep focus on growing your business and moving things forward and just adapting every day? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think the very first thing is to just be able to have an acceptance that things are different, right? That if we live in this space of, oh my gosh, I just can't wait till I get back to normal, right? And normal in parentheses or quote marks and expecting that things will be the way they were prior to COVID, I think that creates more stress and more anxiety for people. So having that ability to just accept where we are currently and understand that it probably won't go back to what we knew before, right? It probably won't be normal again. We'll have a new normal, but it will look very different than what we had before. So I think that's the very first step. So being able to accept that. I think moving on from there, then you have a choice in how you react to the situation. So you can choose your course of action. You can choose how you want to respond to the fact that this new normal will be very different and it's maybe not what you were hoping for. Some of the things or some of the the tools that I use with my clients to, you know, adapt to change and evolve, I have to do a lot with some internal like focusing tools. So I do a lot with meditation. I do a lot with yoga. I do a lot actually with asking them to do some reflection work, right? And some journaling work so that they can get everything out of their head and all those emotions that are happening and get them written down so that they can then see what they actually are. And as you know, Cher, like 
so often, you know, we're not taught an emotional vocabulary growing up. It's, it's usually not part of our first families. It's usually not part of a curriculum at school, whether it's an undergrad or, you know, postgraduate work. And so people, I, what I find is that a lot of my clients don't have the emotional vocabulary that they need to just actually describe how they're feeling. And most often they have so many different feelings going on that it's just helpful to say, and to, it's helpful to name it first of all, and say, what am I feeling? I know I have all these things going on, but what is it actually? And working through those. And then once we've identified what those feelings actually are, then going ahead and taking that next step and saying, okay, how do we want to address that, right? How do we want to choose to respond to that? And how do we want to handle that going forward? So there also then becomes this, this act of like letting go or releasing so that they can move forward with an emotion or a behavior or a belief or a thought that serves them in a more positive way. No, I think that is so true. And I talk about this with technology, but I think it's true in this instance as well. I talk about the people that are roughly 25 to 30 years old they don't remember a life without technology. When there are people that are, you know, 30 plus, we've lived half a life with and half a life without. So we can adapt, but it's a learned process. We don't just automatically pivot because it requires a learning skill. And I think emotionally, it's the same thing. We were taught to buck up and move forward and this will all pass. Yeah, exactly. You you didn't have to think about it, write it down, any of those kinds of things. And so it is, it's very hard because for us, it's not only, okay, I need to start journaling because that will help me. I need to learn how to start journaling. I've never journaled in my life, or maybe I've never done meditation or all of these tools, which are really valuable. And I I do many of these things myself, but it, it was a definite learning curve. And it's very hard to take on a learning curve when you absolutely have to do it at the same time. Right, right. There's an aspect of resistance there. Like, I don't want to have to learn this. And really, I, you know, I can't fit anything else on my plate right now. And so those exact kinds of thoughts are like what we want to try to shift. Because when you're in that space of can't and don't and won't and couldn't or shouldn't, you're, you're in that space of negative mindset, which doesn't help you move forward. So I had this conversation with a startup the other day who really needs to get their books into a software. So, you know, they need to track sales and and all of those kinds of good things that we all need to do, uh, how to pay taxes, all these things. And the conversation was, I don't have time to learn a new software. I'm not really interested in paying for something new. So I immediately thought of this as you were talking about it, because again, it's the same thing. Now there's an opportunity for them to go after some investor funds. And what is the first thing they ask for if you go for investor funds? We'd like to see your books. They give you this whole list of all the different ways they'd like your numbers manipulated. You know, what is your gross versus your net? They'd like to know, you know, what's your percentage of growth from last year? And so there was an immediate panic. And I'm like, this is why we do these things so that we don't have to panic and learn and produce all at the same time. But we're creatures of habit in that sense. We don't take on anything until we get painted into the corner and then we go, oh, we should do something different. And I think one of the things that I was going to ask you about in this same kind of vein is I'm starting to hear more and more people say that there are just days, not a whole week, not all the time, but there's just some days where they're, they're suffering almost a depression or a PTSD 
where you wake up and you say, oh, I've got six things on my to-do list today. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then they get up and just nothing happens. They just kind of stand still. What are some of the kind of quick things that, that those kind of people can do that are just starting to let COVID wear on them? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And, you know, we're seeing that so much these days, you know, especially with our mental health situation in this country and, and around the world. I mean, COVID isn't just limited to here. So, you know, when someone is in a, you know, maybe a, a down state or, you know, a, a depressed state or, you know, just sort of lacking that, like, you know, normal energy that they might have, I think sometimes it's helpful to just allow themselves to feel what they're feeling. Right. And so it's okay to not be okay with what's going on right now. And I think that's a message that that everyone needs to hear. You know, this this there is an aspect, you know, if you think about it like as a as a grieving process, right? Because we had a normal before and everybody really liked our normal and everything was great. We could go everywhere, we could travel, we could we didn't have to wear masks, we didn't have to social distance, we could just, you know, live our lives. And so now that we're in this space of you know, still having a social distance and we wear masks and we can't maybe do some of the activities that we did before. And a lot of other things have shifted around us as well. There's almost an aspect of grieving that loss and for different people that will hit at different times. And so being okay to just feel those feelings and work your way through, you know, that grief process, like Kubler-Ross describes, you know, there's, there's a healthy element to that. I think what happens when you stay in one stage too long and, you know, it becomes sort of an issue, that's when you want to seek therapy or, you know, seek someone to a qualified, you know, person to talk with about that. But if it's, if it's not a case where it's, diagnose depression or whatever you have, then I think some of the ways that you can start to shift those states is but through physical movement. That's one of the best ways that you can shift your emotional state. So you literally, if you get up, you put on your favorite dance song and you start dancing in your living room, you will find that your body has shifted how it feels because you've, you've initiated some of those hormones that create the good feelings in your brain. So dancing is a great way to do that. Another way to do that is to maybe get outside and get some fresh air, right? Or if you live in a place where it has a lot of sunshine, make sure that you've got your window shades open so that you can have some sunshine coming in. You know, that elevates your mood and lifts your spirits. Maybe reach out to a a friend that you haven't talked to in a while and create that connection with them and have that conversation so that you don't feel alone, right? That there is someone there who loves you and supports you and, and you create that community. And I think... A lot of what's happening right now with COVID is that people are so physically distanced from one another that they forget that they can make those kinds of social connections still using technology and using all these amazing tools that we have today to help people become even closer, even if they're not physically in the same place. It's such a great point. We were having this discussion a while back about the fact, what if this had happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago? You know, we'd have all been sitting at home with a book. We would not have had Netflix, Apple TV, but we also wouldn't have had Zoom and FaceTime. We would not have had Facebook to, you know, really connect with our families and make sure everyone's okay. And, and uh, it, so it's it's interesting because the technology, you know, while it's kind of grown with us, suddenly took a different shift and it wasn't just a matter of having it there, but it's really become sort of a lifeline for a lot of people particularly those that really can't risk being out and about and among people. 
Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, I hate to say that, you know, COVID has created benefits, but I think there are some benefits to COVID. You know, one of those is the realization that we are social creatures and we do need that interaction and that connection to thrive and flourish. And technology is allowing us to do that and how lucky we are that we have that technology to do that. Like you said, 10 years ago, this would have been a very different scenario 10 years ago. It really would have. And the other piece that it does is that it's helping us, I think, reevaluate our businesses. It's difficult for the really large box stores, et cetera, because they have a lot of money invested in physical space and physical product. But for a lot of businesses, it's the opportunity to really reevaluate. And, you know, I look at some of the bigger groups who have suddenly said, you know, we're good with our people working remote. We're actually getting more work done. People are happier. We're saving money. And so we're seeing an adoption of here we spent all our time thinking about how we can make life better for our employees. And we were trying to build all these things in. And all of a sudden we realized that it's been there the whole time. Somebody likened it to the yellow brick road that we've always had the ability to have that work-life balance but we traded it for commuting and, you know, being away at lunch and working through lunch and all of these things. And now suddenly we've decided, wow, this isn't so bad. We're actually getting better productivity out of most people. And they're happier because they're not spending all their time on a bus or a train and, you know, having to deal with all of those issues. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm with you. I think COVID has brought some interesting aspects and some positive aspects to business and industry and just to how we function. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting shift. You know, like when I started working, you know, 25, 27 years ago now, there was an expectation that you were in the office, right? Your, 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 your behind was in the chair, you were visible, so that if managers walked around, they could see you. And that was just the expectation. Like you, there really wasn't a work from home policy or a telecommuting policy, except for very few exceptions. And I find it so interesting now that, that the perception of working from home has changed. And that instead of a, well, if we can't see you, then we can't trust that you're working. That has shifted to companies as a whole, and this goes to maybe more of like what the roundtable signatories have agreed upon, right? That like they're putting their people first before profits and before stakeholders. And so putting their health first and saying, yes, we're going to allow you to work from home. And in fact, some companies have even said, you can work from home forever now. And I, I don't remember off the top of my head who it was. It might have been... Um, Facebook, and I can't remember, uh, there were a couple, but I, I just, I find that so fascinating that it took an event like COVID to shift that mindset and thinking that was so entrenched in corporate America that you had to be in the office to be productive and to work. And it, it always came across to me as, well, we don't trust you to work from home. We don't trust that you're going to be productive. And so what an opportunity for people now to be able to integrate their whole selves and bring their whole self into their work. And I think it's so neat also that like technology has really like sort of broken down those walls of the veneer and the, the image that we wanted to project to the world in the workplace, where now we have Zoom cameras that are showing like the messiness and the humanity of life behind the camera. And it's becoming okay. 
and we're recognizing and acknowledging and honoring that part of each other. And I think it's so beautiful. And I think that's another benefit that COVID has brought us that, you know, it's starting to see and shift how we think about each other as humans and how we interact. And I, I wish that that had been part of my corporate experience nearly 30 years ago. Well, and I'm like you, I remember as a supervisor being told, you know, you, your people must be here. You must keep an eye on them. I was always fascinated by that term, keep an eye on them. You know, I really was not sure what that meant. And I always thought it was interesting. I remember working one place and the person in charge every day would walk down the hallways at the end of the day. And because you were sitting there behind your computer and he said, hello, and you said, hello, or he'd say, you know, have a good evening kind of thing. There was some comfort level to him that you were in there working. You could be sitting there watching cat videos. You know, I don't, I don't come around and look at your screen. I'm not looking on your desk to see what your productivity is. I'm not asking, stopping by and saying, give me three things that you got done today. So the perception that you were doing something really was just a perception. And so it's, it's fascinating because now you recognize that, okay, in order for you to understand I'm doing something from home, I'm going to have to show you work. I'm going to have to email you something. I'm going to have to give you access. And so suddenly there's a much greater margin of being able to see how much productivity is going on than walking the halls and saying, well, they're here, so I'm sure they're doing something valuable. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me, I had a manager one time literally tell me, he's like, I have the MBWA style. I was like, what's that? You know, this is like when I first started working. And he says, well, that's management by walking around. First time I'd ever heard that, I went, what? <laughs> and he always walked around at five o'clock, yep. eight o'clock in the morning and five o'clock at night. You should be walking around at the end of the day and checking on everyone. And I'm, I'm not sure I understand the value of doing this. And I didn't do it. And I can remember having an evaluation and being asked about it. And I said, is our productivity down? No. Is everything being managed and cared for? Yes. So what would be the difference in the result if I was walking around? Do you think there'd be an increase in work because I'm staring at them the last two minutes of the day? It was an interesting conversation because I don't think he'd ever thought of that. And yeah. so immediately he was like, huh. And he never mentioned it again. He never questioned me not doing it again. But I always found that fascinating. And so over the years, you know, as we got more and more technology, I remember companies being concerned. Well, if we give you the internet access, you'll look at things. You might be out there surfing and, and such. And I'm thinking... Yeah. So you're in your office reading a magazine instead under your desk, but you know, you're not on your computer. You're still not doing any work. I mean, there's always those that are going to push the envelope on that end. Mm -hmm. so it's definitely a change for us. I think it's a good change. One of the things I'd love for you to tell us about is as you're doing executive coaching and talk a little bit about if you do that, you know, in one-on-one -on -one, in group situations, how that, how that looks, but how have you changed how you're delivering and doing things with COVID? Yeah, great question. So prior to COVID, I did a lot of work, you know, one-on-one -on -one in person. And then when COVID hit, obviously everything was shut down. So I transitioned to like probably everyone else in the world using Zoom. And so, you know, I deliver quite a bit of coaching over Zoom today still. I generally coach one-on-one, -on -one, but I also do some work with leaders and their teams. 
And now just, just in the last couple of weeks, I have started to do like some more in-person coaching. You know, if the client is really looking for that, obviously with masks and social distance appropriate kind of interaction, but so it's, it's changed a little bit how I do, but you know, a lot of the coaching that I had done prior to COVID was just over the phone. So just audio. So that part for me didn't shift a whole lot. That actually stayed the same. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's, there's different camps in terms of the efficacy of coaching using a visual medium versus using an audio medium. And for me, what I have found that works well is that I, I do like the audio medium because it allows me to gather a lot of nonverbal data that maybe I would not otherwise see because of the visual distractions. So I have found that to be a helpful aspect to the coaching. You know, I still have that ability to do the to do the audio work, whether it's over a Zoom audio or whether it's over a telephone or Google Voice. So for our listeners, I think that's a valid point to think about. If you're considering coaching, and you should be, we all need to be coached at some level at some time in our lives. But if you're considering it, Think about how you work well. How do you adapt best? What's your medium for doing this? And for some people, in-person is it. They've got to be in the same room with you. For other people, Zoom is fine. But I would agree. For some people, audio is much better than video. And again, depends on the nature of who you are and what you're talking about and what you're working with. For some people, they want to show you a lot of things, so they like to have that visibility. But for others, if they're just talking through where they're at and what they want to be doing, they may find a better comfort level. So, you know, that's very important when you're interviewing people and wanting to select a coach is finding someone who works in a methodology that is comfortable for you, that gives you that opportunity to get past that piece of it and actually start to work on the important issues and not just go with the first person and then say, wow, you know, she always uses Zoom and I really don't like it, but oh, I just do it anyway. I think you lose something when you force yourself to adapt to a medium that doesn't fit what you need. Right, exactly. I totally agree. And, you know, as a, as a coach, you know, I want my client to be at their best and I want them to be, you know, in a space where they feel the most comfortable. So even though I have personal preferences on how I like to coach, it is ultimately up to the client how they choose to be coached. So if they want to be in person, like you said, that's fine. If they want to be on Zoom, that's fine. If they want to be on just audio on a Google voice call, that's fine too. I think, you know, as you're, as you're referencing, you know, selecting a coach, I think there are certain things that come into play there that a lot of people maybe don't consider when they're interviewing coaches and they probably should. And one of those things is, you know, how do you, how do you work best, right? You know, what, what is it that you're looking for in a coach? What are you looking to get out of that engagement? And how often do you want to meet with the coach? Like, do they have a set package or are they flexible in terms of how they're going to meet with you and how often and when and for how long? So setting that relationship with the coach as well, as we know from research, that has been a primary determinant of coaching outcomes for clients is the coaching relationship. So making sure that you feel that chemistry, it's almost like a dating game. And I hate to use that term, but it sort of is, right? So if you're going out and you're interviewing five or 10 coaches, you want to pay attention to like, where do you feel like you have that chemistry with the coach? 
Where do you feel like your energy levels are the same? Where do you feel like you have that rapport? Where do you feel like you already have that safe container or that safe space to be able to have those conversations with the coach that will get into some probably pretty deep and personal territory. So being able to be in a space like that where you feel confident that you have safety to discuss what you need to discuss and you have that rapport and you have that positive energy, those are all things that are super important to the to the client relationship and then also to your outcomes as a client. I think that is just so valuable. You mentioned earlier about, you know, working sometimes with vendor relationships in, in helping people to be able to talk with those vendors. Obviously, here at Downing Ed Tech, we do a lot of that. We, Because we understand technology, we, we speak the language. And so a lot of times we're that gray connectivity area. So that the people that are buying something, you know, really get the right person to talk with and someone who's patient with them and they get the right product. We're very concerned that, you know, they get a product that fits their needs, not just something off the shelf that's going to do a short-term piece of it. But I love the fact when you talked about the chemistry of it, because that's part of it too, is when we work with affiliates and vendors, it's because we know them. So we already have a relationship. So it's very easy for us to work with a client then and say, here's someone who we've worked with. We know their work, you know, we can vouch for them and we can bring you together. For our listeners, if you think about if you're, for example, if you're working in technology or you're working in the startup space and you really don't like doing vendor relationships, imagine now that the vendor is your coach. If you're not comfortable reaching out, if you're not comfortable asking questions at the table, if you're not comfortable finding the right one, think how much that that inhibits your business. Think how much that slows your productivity. It's the same thing with a coach. When you don't have the right chemistry, you're really just losing valuable time and valuable opportunity. So Jennifer, you talked a little bit about you do some wonderful things with people. And I love when you talk about human capital, because really for all of us, that is the most important thing in our business whether you're an individual, you know, just using freelancers all the way up to you've got a small company or you just have relationships with with a lot of clients, it's that human capital value and worth that is what makes or breaks every day. Talk to us a little bit about what are some of the things that you're going to be covering in your new book because I know that's coming out in 2021. It's called Leading with Heart, The Human Element of Business, which I love that title, by the way, because I think really a piece that we are missing. We get so focused on tasks and management and strategic success and all those things. And we kind of forget that, you know, there's a human component that really needs to be in everything. So tell us a little bit more about your book. Yeah, so this is a book that I have been wanting to write since I was probably in high school. This book came out of my experience going into the workforce as someone who grew up in a family where I learned that, you know, to be successful at work, I needed to separate my personal life from my professional life. And so I always felt like I had these two identities. And even though I made that conscious decision to do that, I just never felt like I fit. You know, I felt like I was always out of place in the professional world. And my personal world, you know, the things that I was really good at, I didn't feel like I could bring those to bear on my professional work and help that, you know, space in my life move forward. So 
I often felt as if like the human element to me and what made me human was lacking. And as I went through my career, I, I really saw leaders who prioritized their people. I saw them prioritize their tasks. I saw them prioritize the spreadsheets, but I didn't see them often paying attention to these humans with these lives and dreams and hopes in front of them and helping them grow and evolve. And I just, I always felt like something wasn't quite right with that for me. It just didn't sit right. And on the flip side of that, you know, the few times that I did have a leader who put people first, it was very clear how outcomes shifted and performance I mean, massive increases in performance and loyalty increase and engagement increase. And I just thought, what made those leaders different? How did they get to that point? And what did they learn along their journeys that helped them be that way? And I want to be like that leader. And so, you know, as I went through my career, you know, 25 years of working in different organizations and then in consulting, seeing many different organizations that way as well, you know, the cultures, it just became very clear to me that this was something that I was feeling called to help people with, to just simply help leaders be better leaders of people. And so I've had the opportunity to do some great interviews, you know, everyone from like Marshall Goldsmith, who's one of the world's, you know, best coaches to Alan Mulally, who, you know, was an amazing CEO at Ford Motor Company and turned the company around, you know, to Dory Clark, who's been an amazing, you know, role model and, and helpful person for me in growing my business as a startup. And so I'm bringing a lot of these stories to people in the hopes that they can learn from them and take away their own nuggets and help them be better leaders as well. That is so true. When you talk about loyalty and engagement, those are two things that fall off the radar all the time. And yet they're the first things that are mentioned when somebody leaves. You know, when you have a really good supervisor and they leave, you hear people say, you know, their employees were so loyal to them. Like it's a bad thing. Or you hear them say, well, you know, nobody engages since that person's gone. Well, what does that tell you? You know, I think back to when Google first came out and Google said, we're not going to have offices and we're going to have play space and we're going to do things. You know, and Microsoft came out and said, we've got a gym, we've got basketball courts. You know, people aren't going to have to work eight hours in a chair. It's work when you want to work. As long as your work gets done, here's, you know, here's some fringe benefits and we have cafeterias and food and all of these, ben what we called benefits. And I remember I was at a lecture and uh, the speaker said, it's interesting that we think Google is providing us with something that we don't already have. And <laughs> that really an eye-opening moment because everyone was so just enthralled with the fact that, you know, wow, they've got beanbag chairs in their offices and they get to take off time when they, you know, like their kid gets sick and, or they want to go for a long weekend. And as long as they get their work done, you know, nobody cares. And then they come back and, and it's true. I mean, it's not anything that anyone else couldn't have devised or come up with. It's just a matter of, do you take the initiative to do it? I mean, even when you talk with people who are small business owners or who are individual startups, the first thing they'll tell you is the biggest struggle is I work 16 hours a day and I work seven days a week. And it's, it's like, why? You're the boss. Take the afternoon off. But it's so instilled in us to not do that. So I, I'm excited to read your book and to see, you know, some of the things in there, because I think now and it's going to come out timely because after COVID, 
now we suddenly realize, wow, there really is a human element and it's important. Yes, absolutely. And I I think COVID is also another benefit is that it's really helped shine that light on the fact that, yeah, maybe you were able to get away with like managing those tasks before, but now what's going to happen is you're going to have all these machines and all these different programs and all these different software tools. And like, you have to be able to get people to work together so that you leverage all the power of that to move the organization forward. So there's still that huge element of, you know, how do you be a great people leader and help bring your people together and recognize and honor them for who they are and the unique contributions that they bring to the organization. So I know you've got a new audio course available. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So my new audio course is with a company called Knowable and they are an amazing startup out on the West coast. The course that I'm offering there is called power up your performance, discover your why. And this course actually was developed for them because I found that in all of the leaders that I have been coaching, one of the common threads that's coming across, particularly since COVID, is this idea of there's just something that seems to be missing for me now in my career. Like maybe I was, you know, I've been successful, but I'm just not feeling the love anymore. Like I'm just not feeling the magic or the passion and I don't know where it went and I really want to get it back. And so I developed this course to help people get back in touch with, you know, what brought them that magic and to help them find that for this next chapter in their career journey. And many of them are in career transition because of COVID, either because they've lost the job or they chose to leave because they realize this isn't, it's not fulfilling them in the way that they want to be. And so it's been an opportunity, I think, to help people really shape their next career decisions and journeys around what is it that stokes their fire? What is it that gets them up in the morning? What are they passionate about? And how do they want to manifest that in their career going forward? I encourage all of you to take a look at Knowable. There's a variety of courses on there. Obviously, audio is lovely because you can you know, listen to it when you're exercising or walking or even just hanging out on your couch. But I think the real real benefit there is that it's a mixture of courses. There are certainly some courses that are just for fun, some for interest. There's a lot of them that really are are giving you another toolkit of starting to analyze what you want, what you need. And I think, you know, this is another good way of saying, get through this course and go, wow, do I need coaching? Or what kind of coaching do I need? Or do I want? For all of you that are running your startups, I know you get very, very focused on just working on getting that product out the door or that concept, but you also have to be thinking about, you know, how are you going to grow? How are you going to be out there? One quick example, the other day I worked with someone who spent so much time working on their product and their product is great and their product is about to get picked up, but because they got picked up, they said, we want you to do this series of presentations so that we can invite potential investors and people who might be interested in using it. And in a sudden panic set in because they're not prepared to do presentations or to put them together or to talk in a manner that, you know, can shift per audience, not just one presentation to give to everybody that shows up, but for every presentation they do to shift to that particular audience and their particular needs. So you always need to be thinking about these kinds of things. What are the tools that are out there? And so an audio course is a great way to get your feet wet. I think it's also a great way to discover who's out there and who's available. 
So Jennifer, I'm going to ask you a final question for today because we ask everybody this. Where do you think your technology prediction is going to be for the future? Where do you see us going? So Sherry, you know I'm not a technical person, so that's a very uh, ironic question that you're asking me for the end of this podcast. So my initial reaction was, oh my gosh, I have no idea. How am I going to answer that? But you know, I, I think I would say that obviously technology is going to continue to evolve. In, in which ways, I, I'm not exactly clear. That's not my area of expertise. But I do know that it will continue to evolve. What I think will happen is that it will create new opportunities to bring people together and connect in ways that we don't even see right now. Before COVID hit, you know, we were talking about Industry 4.0 and like digital transformation and artificial intelligence and how, you know, the Internet of Things are going to change everything going forward. And I think, you know, as we look to the future, we'll have something maybe like Industry 8.0 or, you know, technology like 3.0, where we have things that don't even exist today. I think the one thread, though, that will stay common, even though there will be all these advances in technology, is that we still have that human element. We still have that need to connect with one another. We still have that need to see each other as humans, to understand each other, to acknowledge each other, and to celebrate you know, what makes us each unique and, and special and contributing to the world. So... I think technology will continue to help us do that in ways that are unique to each of us so that we can stand out in the way that we're meant to be. I think that's an absolutely brilliant answer because we do focus sometimes so much on the actual root of the technology, we forget about what it brings to the table. And we now have learned what it brings to the table, forcibly for some people. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, and we won't say it went over well, but, you know, I joke that a, a year ago, people didn't really understand what we did in the ed tech arena. And fast forward a year and everybody went, oh, I get it. It's a difference in a day. You never know what, what's coming. So I think uh, you're absolutely right. The technology is, is the secondary part. It's a delivery method. But how we can come together with it, I think is going to be really powerful. And with people like you who are willing to work with folks and, and move things out and try new things. I think that's, that's part of what makes that happen as well. So I want to thank you for joining us today. Jennifer, this has been just great and I really appreciate it. I think there's a lot of valuable information for our listeners to really think about how technology and the human element comes together. I think it's also really important for our listeners to think about kind of what their next steps are and where they're going. Even if they're in a business or in a role that they're enjoying, there's always room for improvement. There's always room for growth. And there's always room for exploration. I think we can never just be stagnant because we don't know what's coming around the corner. We certainly don't know what 2201 is going to be like, but we certainly can try to prepare ourselves as best as possible. How do people reach you? And we'll also include it on all of our podcast sites. But what is your website? So my website is drjennifernash.com. And I invite your listeners to go out and take a look. There is a contact form on the website, so they can pop their details into that contact form, and I will be in touch with them shortly. Wonderful. Well, we sure appreciate you being on here today. I think, you know, we try to bring people how technology fits into all aspects. And I think sometimes people don't realize that coaching and even going through the act of being coached can be done utilizing technology. And so this is really important for us. 
For everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed today's episode at EdTech Speaks and can make use of the information we've given you. As always, we look forward to having you join us again. If you want more information on our podcast, you can reach our website at www.downingedtech.com, or you can listen to us on Amazon, Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, or Stitcher. Until next time, keep learning. Thank you for listening to EdTech Speaks with EdTech strategist Cher Downing. To learn more about the services Downing EdTech and its staff can provide you, find us at www.downingedtech.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to share it. We'd also like to hear from you regarding any suggestions for topics or guests and the value you received from our show. Check back for new podcasts with featured guests at www.downingedtech.com backslash podcast. Thank you.